This morning we're continuing with our Fully Equipped. We started this series a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so the whole idea, the premise behind this, behind this series is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, and let's, we'll read this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So if you caught that, that's the thrust behind it. The fact that you and I, as we enter into 2018, as we start off this year, there is one call to each of us. We have a purpose into this year. There's a purpose that God has put in front of us, and that's this that we grow into him. We grow up, we become mature, we grow up into Christ. Our call is that we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, that we learn each and every day as we get, as we go through the days that we are closer to him, that we understand him better, that we comprehend who he is. Who he is. So last week, so we started that in the, in the first week. And then last week, we talked about one of the first steps that we could take in knowing who he is, is to turn to the book where he describes who he is. It's to turn to the word of God. It's for us to dive in and to, to do the hard work of understanding who he is by reading and consuming his word, by letting that become our, our source of inspiration, our source of direction, our source of life. And so if you were with us last week, we may have, uh, you may have received what our, one of our plans, our reading plan. This year we're going through a reading plan that goes through all of the New Testament. And if you haven't gotten one of those plans right at those doors um, by the Connections desk, you'll, uh, there are a few there. So definitely do pick one up and follow along as we go through it. However, in our effort, sometimes in our effort to fulfill our purpose, we like to take it kind of easy, or we like to take a few shortcuts. So if you look through your week, there are many things that you and I do, or many things, many tasks that you and I have that, you know what, if, if you think about it, we honestly don't want to do or don't need to do. And so what we do, we contract it out. We hire someone, we get someone to clean the house or maybe maybe mow the lawn or maybe walk the dog, you know, pick out our outfits that we're going to wear for the week or deliver our groceries, come put it in the fridge for us. These are things that actually happen these days where we contract it out. We leave all the decision making to somebody else. And you would think with all these decisions out of the way, we would have tons of time. We would be more efficient. We would be smarter. We would use our time wisely. Unfortunately, you and I know that really doesn't happen. But there are some things that we can't contract out. Some things that we have to do on our own. For example... If you were to go to the gym, and I wonder how many of us kept that resolution to lose those 10 pounds from Christmas. If you were to go to the gym today and say, you know what, here's my money. I'm signing up. Here's my money. I need a personal trainer. They hook you up, and you go, here you go. Get fit for me. Does it work? It doesn't. 
You go, you sign up, you go to, uh, go to uni uh, university, go to college, and you plop your tuition in front of the professor and say, get smart for me. It doesn't work. And we know there are some things in life that you and I, we have to do on our own. And our call today from Ephesians, Paul is telling us, is our call, our purpose is to grow into Christ, is to get an understanding of who he is, is to learn, is to become like him. And that is something, the things that we need to do to get there, to accomplish our purpose, is not something that we can hire someone else to do. We can't contract it out. It is us. We have to jump in, do the hard work of reading the word, do the hard work of diving in and understanding and seeking his face so that we could grow into who he wants us to be. And so today I want to take a look at another tool, another, uh, our, another tool that we have in our, in our arsenal in helping us accomplish this purpose, and that's prayer. How many of you pray? That's a rhetorical. I know every one of us will stand up and say, yes, we pray. Yes, we all pray. Prayer is something that, uh, that who we are, that's just as human beings, we often pray. Maybe it's not something verbal that we may do uh, every single day, but it comes out in the way we live. But just like the other things that we kind of contract out, Sometimes we may fall into the trap of contracting out our prayer. For example, you call the pastor during the week and you say, Pastor, there's this and this that I need to, I, God needs to answer my prayer. I'm going through something that I just cannot handle right now. Can you pray with me? And as pastors, it's our privilege, it's our joy to be able to do that. That's our call to ministry is to be able to pray with you, to serve in that capacity. Or you may have heard, as Pastor Rick mentioned, pull out that connect card, fill out, a, fill out a form in the back, drop it in the bucket, and we'll pray for you this week. Great, you do that. Or right after the, uh, the sermon or during the service, at some point here at, the, at Mount Hope, we have our elders come up on either side of the platform, and they're there to pray with you. And so you go up, and you present your request, and we pray, and, and God hears that prayer. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that these, these things are wrong. And if you aren't doing that already, I would, I would highly encourage you to share your request, to share the burdens that you have in your life with each other, to get people to pray with you. That's something, that's what Christian community is all about, is that we share each other's burden and that we walk together in this journey called life. But here's where we fall short. If you call the pastor and say, hey, pray for me. Or if you fill out that card, drop it in the bucket, and we pray. Or if you go up to the elders, and they pray, and that's it. You don't pray yourself. Have you con have, haven't we contracted it out to somebody else? Instead of doing that hard work of getting on our knees, getting, to, uh, getting into the presence of the Lord. So I would submit that prayer is not just another task. Sometimes we treat it as a task. Something We have a list of things to do. You know, go, uh, wake up in the morning, do, a, uh, do our morning rituals, go pray, go do our groceries, do this and that. It's not just another checkbox that we have on our calendar for the day. It's not a task that we get through so that we can move on to the more important things on, the for, on our calendar for the day. I would submit to you that if anything, prayer is the most important task you will take on that day. 
It's when you and God, the creator of the universe, the one who owns it all, the one to whom you owe your life, your your elite. Excuse me, your allegiance, you and him, you're conversing, you're communicating, you're building that relationship, the most important relationship you will ever have. And that's what prayer is. And that's something that cannot be contracted off to. So today I want to turn to a passage in scripture that's all too familiar with, uh, for us. Most of us, will, when we come up to passages like this, we'll take the tagline out. We love to quote them. We write them in our journals. We may write them up and post them on our fridge somewhere. They help us through good times and bad. But sometimes we need to look at the context also to truly understand what that's talking about. So we're going into the book of Isaiah today. In the book of Isaiah, if you haven't read it already, I would highly suggest that we, you pick that up, uh, start the book of Isaiah. It's such a rich, full book. And right there in the middle of Isaiah, in, in chapters 53 onwards, you see Isaiah shifting gears and he's saying there's going to come a day where the suffering servant will come. He will die. He will take on the burdens. He will take on the iniquities. He'll take on the sins of the people. And he will take it upon himself. And he will die a gruesome death. And he's saying there is a solution coming. He's looking at Israel. He's looking at Judah. And he's saying there is a solution coming to the situation that you're in. They're going through such terrible times as a nation and he's saying there is a solution coming and too often around Easter we'll bring those verses up and that reminds us of who Christ was and what he came for just as Isaiah pro prophesied a few hundred years later Jesus would come on the scene born as a little child in a manger but headed to the cross his sole purpose being so that he would die for you and me. He would take on our iniquities and by his stripes we would be healed. By his stripes we would be restored. Isaiah points to that man. And then in chapter 54 he says, he's looking at Israel, he's looking at Judah and he's saying, your salvation is coming. You will be blessed. And not only you, not only the people in Israel, but also the people all, of all nations for all time. So that includes you and me, everyone sitting in this room, everyone listening to us over a stream. It includes us. And he is, Isaiah is prophesying that this solution is good. This solution is final and it's for us. And then in, in 55, in chapter 55, Isaiah is describing what that would look like. He says, God is extending an invitation to all nations and to all people. His desire is to bless them and to work in them. He desires to do good to the people and to transform them. He gives, them, he gives the people an invitation to come to him and look to him. He invites you and me to receive this good work. That's in chapter 55. But my question here is this. How does a person receive that good work? How does a person receive God's favor and his grace into his life? How do you and I tap into the power that is, that is promised to us for the power of God to work in our lives? How do you and I receive what he has done and take on his command of growing in him? In other words, what should we do now? What should we do on a daily basis that will help us to do our best work this year? How? Isaiah tells us. His answer is right there. In chapter 55, verses 6 and 9, he says that we are to seek the Lord. Let's read Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways are neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Here's the crux of this entire sermon. If you're going to do your best work for the Lord this year, this is where we begin. This, if we're going to if we're going to do anything for him, if we're going to pursue our purpose, this is where we begin. If I were to pull this room right now, and I did a few minutes ago, I asked how many of you pray, and most of us, if not all of us, would raise our hands and say, yes, I definitely do. We pray. That's part of who we are. How many of you use Amazon? Oh, I know way more than you that use it. <laughs> Yes, you can raise both hands, I know, because we both, um, we use it all the time. How many of you know Amazon knows you probably better than you know yourself? Well, it's an exaggeration, but they do know you. They know the things that you like to buy. They know the taste that you have. They even know the things that you read. For example, Amazon Kindle. How many of you own a Kindle here? Quite a few of us. If you own a Kindle, they know the books that you read. They know the highlights that you highlight. They know the notes that you take. So a few years ago, Amazon released the most highlighted portions in different books. Some of their bestsellers, like, like The Hunger Games or the, the different, different books, what name, they, they had it up there. They said, these are the most favorite portions of these books. As a matter of fact, they took out the Bible and they said, this is the worst that is the most highlighted amongst all Kindle users. Would you guess which verse that was? Any guesses? John 3.16, good one. No others? Psalms 23. Good guesses. Ooh. Almost, close. Very close, Nancy. So you would think it's like the Psalm 23 or the John 3.16 or the Lord's Prayer. But it's not. In a time where we are so inundated with worry, in a time when we're so concerned with the things around us, this is the worst. Philippians 4, 6, 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Most of us pray. We're so, we're so worried about life. We're so worried about what, hap what will happen today, what happens with our government, what happens with our culture, what happens with our kids, what happens with foreign governments. As, you know, it's just a part of who we are. It's, we live in a culture of fear. And as a response to that fear, as people, we're looking for something to answer. And so our response is usually to pray. So it's not, an, it's not a question of, do you pray? As a matter of fact, in a, in a, in a Gallup poll, they more than half, I'm sorry, a Pew Research poll, more than half, 55% of Americans, they would say that they prayed. 
And even if you're not religious, over 20% of non-religious folks say, we pray. So who are they praying to? What are they praying to? The question here is, is not about do you pray. The question I want to ask us to talk about a little bit or for us to answer today is how we pray and what do we pray about. <clears throat> we all pray. We're called to pray beautiful prayers, deep prayers that connect with the Lord. But too often, our prayers are not as substantial as we want them to be. They may be self-centered. They may be self-focused, focused on our cares, focused on our, our comforts, focused on our teams. Last night was an important night, right? <laughs> A few chuckles. All right, how many of you prayed for the Pats game last night? <laughs> no, one, okay. Okay, maybe you thought, you know what, they don't need the prayer, they're good enough, They'll, they got this. But there was a team that did require prayer. That was the, so right before the Pats game, two teams played, the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles. So now if you know me, and especially my little debacle from last year, you know that I'm an, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. Been and don't have plans for changing it. But here's a little, more, a little more detail about my family. My wife, Jen, she's from Philly. So yesterday made for an interesting evening. <laughs> yesterday we were returning home from Atlanta, and so we're sitting, on the, we're sitting on our flight. It's about to take off. We're watching our games. We pulled it up on, on our phones, and we're both sitting right next to each other. We have our headphones on, and you can, see, you can see the tension in both of our faces. And I look, I look over, and I see her mouthing these few words, and I go, hmm. She is praying for the Eagles to win. <laughs> and if I'm honest, I prayed that prayer a few minutes before. Here we are. Two fans of a game that will probably not make any difference in our lives. Invoking the presence of the Almighty, the God who created the heavens and the earth to come down and answer these prayers. Sometimes our prayers have no substance. Sometimes, yes, they do have, it may, it, we may be talking about life, we may be talking about death, we may be talking about our families, we're praying, we're seeking God, but a lot of times our prayers don't have a lot of depth to it. Our prayers can be self-centered and even shallow sometimes. But here's Let's switch gears and look at what Isaiah has to tell us. Isaiah, in 55, verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This is a far cry from the sort of prayers that we're talking about. We've been talking about, he's saying, pray to him that he may reveal himself to you. There, there are a couple of words in this verse that I'd like for us to take a quick look at. And the first word is the word seek. Seek the Lord while he may be found. If you look at the word seek in the Hebrew, it's the word darash. Now, to explain the word darash to you, I have to use a little bit of an analogy. So, imagine with me, it's Monday morning. You're ready 
you're ready for work, you're getting out the door, ready for school, wherever you may be going that day. It's been a busy weekend, you're a little out of sorts. And you head out to your car, you get to the car, and you realize no keys. What do you do? Run back in, you look at the usual spots, right? All right, you don't find the keys, what do you do? You start looking at the more unusual spots. You open the refrigerator, you open up the trash cans, you look in, in, in your bathroom, you're looking at all these odd places. The search intensifies. You still don't find it, now what happens? The search gets crazy. You're flipping pillows in your, in your couch, you're flipping mattresses, you're looking through places that you've never thought you would ever look through. That search will keep going until you find that key. The word seek here denotes that same exact action that you would do because you know you're not getting to work. You know you're not moving from that place until you find that key. And guess what? You're going to keep looking until you find that key. And, the, and Isaiah, he's looking at the people of Israel and he's saying, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord with the same intensity. Seek the Lord with the same frequency. Seek him until you find him. Do not give up. Do not relent. Do not stop until you have heard from him. Until you have heard, you have found what you are looking for do not give up he says i will not i will not let go until i have received an answer from my god that's the kind of prayer he's saying it's it's intense it is powerful it is something that you will not let go because for you it's life and death for you you're saying i will not let go until i have experienced my god the way the scriptures say i can i will not let go until he has heard my prayers and he has answered them i will not let go Seek him while he may be found. And then it continues in, in the very next word is the word call. Call upon him. The Hebrew word there is kara. It has this idea of crying out or calling out. It's like calling to your kid or calling someone that you know, calling out to your waiter when you're at a restaurant, calling out and saying, hey, I need this. Can you take care of it? It's an everyday thing. It's something that's not foreign to us. It's not something complicated. It's something that we do. It's a part of who we are as a people. So when Isaiah is writing to his people, they know exactly what he's talking about. It's something that they would do on a frequent basis. You need, you're hungry. You call for takeout. You're, you're, uh, uh, you need a ride. You call Uber. You can't find your keys, so you do Uber. That's, it's a part of who you are. You call out. And he's saying, call out upon the Lord, pray to him in a way just like you and I would make uh, do on a daily basis. Don't complicate it. So often we look at prayer and say, you know what, I need to know the word before I can pray. I need to know, I need to have experienced God in a certain way before I can pray. And Isaiah is saying none of that. He's saying, just call, just speak out, just open your mouth, tell him what you're thinking, and call out to the Lord, and call out in a way that you will not let go, you will not stop until you have found what you're looking for. You see, these two words signify an attitude that you and I have to have in prayer. We must be persistent. We must be intentional. Just like we would look for our keys intentional in our calling out, the same must be for our prayers. In prayer, it's easy to become casual and treat it as a task that needs to be completed by the end of the day. But rather, Isaiah is saying, be intentional and in calling out for God's presence. 
So this year, as you go into 2018 with the, with the eye on Ephesians chapter 4 and say, this, if I'm called to grow into Christ, if I'm called to grow in my knowledge of Christ, this is the step I should take. This is the kind of prayer that I need to pray. I'm going to be persistent in my prayer until I receive an answer from him. My prayers will not cease until he has blessed me. First, Isaiah is saying, you need to seek God. And then he continues. In verse 7, he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You see, prayer in our daily context so often can become a one-sided conversation. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Right? We come with a list of desires, list of demands. God, take care of this for me. God, take care of this person at work. Take care of my family. Bless this person. Do not bless that person. Can you answer this? Do this. Do that. Amen. Let's get on with our day. So often we can become like that. But on the other side, we have these magnificent prayers. It's so beautifully crafted. It's so beautifully done. And yet it's ineffective. He's saying because of this. Prayer when it's words only, it's incomplete. Prayer when it's words only, it's empty. Prayer has to be accompanied by action. Prayer has to be accompanied by something that you do, not just what you say. And in, in verse 7, he's saying, let the wicked forsake his way. He's saying, if you're going to, uh, going to pray, it must be an active prayer. It must be something that we do. Let the wicked forsake his prey. His, uh, let, let the wicked for, uh, forsake what he has done. Forsake what he, what he has been through. So in order for us to have a positive outcome in our prayers, that is, if we want to receive what we're asking for, we have to be willing to part with and forsake those things that are displeasing to him. There are things in each of our lives, if we're honest, that are offensive to God. There are things in each of our lives that we have been through, have been done to us, we've done to other people, that we, the relationships that are broken, the things that, are, the emotional hurt that has been received and given that need to be addressed. And when we come to pray, Isaiah is saying, you seek him, but you also forsake where you've been. You seek God with an intensity like no other, but you also turn back and let go. You turn back, you look at what you've been through, you look at what you've done, and you let go. You forsake it, you relent of it, you repent of it. You say, God, I am done with that part of my life. I'm moving forward, I am repenting, I'm going to fix what I can fix. He's saying, forsake your wickedness. If we're going to pray, we're going to need to take seriously the positive side of seeking. But that's only one side of the coin. On the flip side is the act of forsaking. Seeking and forsaking, they go together. If we seek the Lord and yet harbor 
ill will and emotional hurt and, and bad thoughts and all these things in our mind, he's not listening to us. The psalmist says, if I had hidden iniquity in my heart, he would not listen to my, my prayers. And so if we're sitting here, we're seeking the Lord with all our energy, we're seeking the Lord with all our might, and yet we choose not to forsake, it's an empty prayer. It's a prayer that's not effectual. See, as John Piper puts it, you can't seek God where he may not be found in sin. God is holy. And he's surrounded by holiness. And if we choose to surround ourselves with sin, if we choose to surround ourselves with the things that we've always done and we've all gotten comfortable with, it's hard to find him. This is why daily prayer is good, because you know you can't be praying if your heart is full of stuff. If you've got all the stuff going on, we can't see God in prayer and desire positive outcomes. If you've got stuff going on emotionally with the people around us, if you have negative things harbored in our hearts, if we're entertaining things in our thought life that are not pleasing to God, if we are, if we are acting and planning out sin, God does not hear us. That's what Isaiah has to say to his people. If our prayers are going to be effective, we need to do it on God's terms. James 5.16 reads like this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. James is telling the church, if you're going to pray, if you're going to seek the Lord, you confess your sins first because by confessing, you are healed. By unburdening yourself, by unburdening the way God has asked us to do, he answers our prayers. The prayers of a righteous person is effective. The prayers of a person who is in tune with the way God wants him to live, the way God wants her to respond, that's the per person whose prayers are answered. Isaiah, in verse 7, he, he continues. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon Micah 7, verses 18 and 19, he reads like this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnants of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. So when Isaiah is calling us, calling you and me, calling the people of Israel to, to respond to him in seeking and forsaking, he's saying this is the kind of God that you are seeking. This is the kind of God who delights in steadfast love, who does not keep your iniquities, who does not keep your sin in mind. He does not hold it against you. He is ready to forgive. You need to ask. There is nothing that you and I have done that will keep us from him. There is nothing that you and I have experienced in our past and experiencing now that will preclude us from his love for us. Romans 8 says, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. There is nothing that you and I can experience. There is nothing that you and I or someone else can do to us that will keep us from experiencing God's love. God's love God delights in steadfast love, and he is ready, he is willing to forgive if only we would ask, if only we would forsake. One of my favorite heroes of the faith, Hudson Taylor, says it like this. <clears throat> He's talking about praying 
and also working. This work, uh, hard work of forsaking, this is what he says. You can work without praying, but, the, but, that is rather, but that is a rather bad plan. You will, however, never be able to pray seriously without working. Work can never be replaced by prayer, just as prayer can never be replaced by work. The spiritual law that applies universally is this. First pray, then work. This year, in 2018, if you're going to choose to pursue the purpose that God has for you, that's the purpose. That's the, the way to get there. First pray, then work. Seek God. Seek him. Seek him unrelentingly. Seek him with nothing that can hold you back, but also forsake what holds you back. Look back and say, God, those are things in my life that needs to be addressed. Can you take care of it? In order to do what God has called us to do this year, we must pray. And when we pray, we seek. And as we seek, we forsake. But wait, there's more. Prayer also involves intentional surrender. In her book, uh, The Vulnerable Pastor, Mandy Smith references a mountaineer by the name of Joe Simpson. Joe Simpson, he he was climbing the the Chihuahua Grande Mountains in Peru. And as he was doing, his safety line was cut, leaving Joe to slide down with a broken leg into a deep crevice. After several desperate attempts to climb up and out of the crevice, he was faced with the fact that his injury had made it impossible. And so against all survival instinct, he made the excruciating choice to lower himself deeper into the crevice in hope that there would be other exits farther down. All the time wondering, am I lowering myself to freedom or deeper into the belly of the earth? Does a ray of sunlight await me in the pit, showing me a way out into the day, or is there only darkness and slow death? With every inch that he lowered himself down, he edged further away from the obvious way to life, climb out. Obviously, Simpson chose wisely because he tells us a story later on. (laughs) But the story illustrates a bigger bigger, uh, aspect. It it shows us the kind of surrender that we need if we're going to pray. The kind of surrender we're going to need if we're going to do the work that God has called us to do. The kind of surrender that we need to embrace our purpose. It's a surrender that goes beyond our instinct. Our instinct is to hold on, to control, and it says, do you have surrender that would take on faith instead of instinct? Simpson's instinct was to climb out, but it was with faith that he let himself down into the pit. And Smith later on asks, what if instead of this futile effort to inch into the pretense of fullness, we made a counterintuitive, countercultural choice? What if we chose to lower ourselves to defy every survival instinct and start emptying? And for us as Christians, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. What if we choose the safe way out? What if we choose to have control instead of faith? What if we choose to obey our instincts and say, you know what, this is something I can see, this is something I can do, so I'll go with it. Instead, he's saying, what if we chose the harder path of faith? When When we are in any sort of crisis, we all seek one thing. 
Imagine the last time you were in a swimming pool and you started to go down. What was the thing that you were hoping for? You're hoping for control where you could get back up, get above the waterline. Or if you could remember the last crisis you and your family faced or the last crisis at your job, there's the one thing that you and I in all the circumstances want. We want control back. We want to be able to handle our situation. We want to be able to get back up, move on with life. That's our instinct. And so we fight for it. When it comes to prayer and praying through our circumstances, we must instead fight our instincts to retain control and learn to surrender. You see, in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah, this is what he writes. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Where am I going with this? You see, the word that Isaiah gives us here reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of his sovereignty. It reminds us of his, his character, all-knowing, all-purpose character. The, the kind of character that says his thoughts and his purposes for you and for me are so much higher, so much loftier than we could ever imagine. His purpose for you, you may have put up these resolutions for this year, but I can guarantee his resolutions for you are so much bigger. You're, you may look at your life and you may look at your past and say, you know what, this is what I can accomplish. I can guarantee you God has a bigger purpose and God has the means of getting that done. You may look at your past and say, you know what, these are the things that are holding me back. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in, in, in the kind of family that I did. I grew up experiencing what I did and I can't get out of this. And God's plans, he says, Isaiah says, are higher than your plans. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are m m way bigger. Our purpose will always be eclipsed by his and in prayer, we are to be reminded of that. However, more often than not, we're just not altogether convinced. Let me ask you, have you ever watched, and you've may, you may have seen this online, there are so many of these videos, of a deer gets tangled up with its antlers on a barbed wire, a barbed wire fence. And as this deer is tangled up, it's struggling and it's pushing against the wire and as it pushes, it's only getting, up, getting tighter and tighter and all of a sudden, it's found itself in a situation where it can't move anymore. It is stuck and it's going nowhere. And more often than not, in that video, you'll see a kind-hearted stranger coming by, always has clippers in his hands, somehow takes on, this, takes on this task, looks at the deer and says, I got the resources, I know the way to get this free. And so he goes, on to he goes on to cut the barbed wire. But what does the deer do? The deer, in its instinct, starts fighting back. It starts pushing. As soon as it sees another creature coming towards it in this vulnerable position, what does it do? It fights, it kicks, it pushes, it uses its antlers to get away from this person. That's its instinct. Its instinct is, leave me alone, leave me be. And so what this deer lacks is the faith to know that this person actually has a higher purpose, has a higher way of dealing with this circumstance. While we may look at this deer and say, how foolish, 
we too sometimes find ourselves in the same exact position. We may pray, God, deliver us. We may find ourselves in a circumstance that is beyond our control. The more we fight it, the more st we are stuck, the more the sand pulls us down, the more our, our circumstances push us back down. And, he's, and here's God ready to help. But we want nothing. We'll pray. We'll say, God, deliver me. But we take on, take on our problems ourselves. We say, we'll handle it our way. We'll do it on my, on my terms. We fight against the rescuer. We instinct, our instinct is to want control over a situation instead of surrender. Because even in reality, when we have none, we still want it. Like Simpson, our, our surrender should be let go and let God. Let him come into a situation that you may think is hopeless. Let him come into a situation that you may think will never resolve itself and watch him work for his ways and his thoughts and his purposes are way higher than yours. Today, Isaiah is reminding us of that. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours and his thoughts than ours. If we're going to pray, if we're going to pursue our purpose this year, this is the stance that we have to take. We have to take on surrender. If we're going to pray, we have to seek him first. If we're going to pray, we have to forsake our past. And if we're going to pray, we have to surrender to him. Prayer reminds us of this one, of one more fact. So often when we pray, it's more about the circumstances that we're in. It's more about us. It's self-centered. It's self-focused. It, it, it deals with our, our comforts and our pain. Deals with our family, it deals with us. But Isaiah is saying there is a higher purpose here. R.C. Sproul in his book on prayer puts us beautifully. And this is what he has to say Prayer, like everything else in, Christ, in the Christian life, is for God's glory and the Christian's benefit in that order. It's for God's glory and the Christian's benefit. In that order, everything that God does, everything that God allows and ordains is a supreme, in a supreme sense, is for his glory. It's also true that while God seeks his own glory supremely, man benefits when God is glorified. We pray to glorify God, but we also pray in order to receive the benefits of prayer from his hand. Prayer is not, it's for our benefit even in the light of the fact that God knows the end from the beginning. It's our privilege to bring the whole of our finite existence into the glory of his infinite presence. It's for his glory and for our benefit, but in that order. So often we look at our benefit sacrificing the glory of God. Isaiah reminds us that his ways are greater than ours. Prayer is as much us calling out to God for help and seeking him as it is ultimately his glory. Here's the crux of the message. We're called to pray. If we're going to take on what God has given us, if we're going to take on, we're going to take seriously the words of Paul to the Ephesians, if we're going to take on that purpose to grow into him, to become more like him, prayer is where we begin. Where we seek, we forsake, and we surrender. As we close, I'm going to call the worship team back. But for us that are here in this room, let's take a moment. 
to listen closely to the words of Isaiah, to listen carefully to the words of Isaiah, to present our hearts to him, to seek him in a way, to seek him in a way that will not end here, to seek him until you have found the answer of what you are looking for, to seek him until he answers, to seek him until he moves, to seek him until he restores, to seek him until the thing is done. But also to forsake those things that entangle us, those things that have us hooked onto that barbed wire. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, all of us have that one thing. All of us have something in our past that keeps us locked down that keeps us but from being free to achieve what God has called us to achieve, that keeps us free, that keeps us locked out and locked up. And that's where we're called to forsake. And honestly, you and I, we can't do this on our own. Romans 8 says, likewise, we have the Holy Spirit who knows our infirmities, who knows our weaknesses, and yet he prays for us. He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is ready to help you pray, is ready to help you accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. It's a matter of us asking. Jesus says you don't have because you don't ask. Today we are to seek. We are to forsake. And finally, if we're going to get anywhere, we're to give up our control and we are to surrender. If there are three words that I want you to take away from today, and as you pray, I'm going to call us to pray before we leave. Three words. Let it ring true. Let it, let it meditate on it. Seek, forsake, and surrender. That's what Isaiah is calling us to do today. So as the worship team leads us in a few minutes, in a minute or so, I would ask that each of us, wherever you are, if you want, these altars are open. We'll have our elders and our staff will be here to pray with you. If there's something that you, as you pray, God's bringing to your mind. If there's something as, as you're listening to my voice that God's bringing to your mind, the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to take care of this. You need to pray over this. You need to pray through this today. I would ask that you come. Join us in prayer. We would love to pray with you. But more than that, let's pray, each and every one of us. That's something that we all can do this morning before we leave. Pray to God. God, help me seek you. Help me seek you incessantly. Help me seek you in all that it's, it's worth. Help me to forsake my past and help me to surrender. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for you are good. We thank you for Isaiah's words that remind us of who you are, that you are God and God alone, that you, your ways and your thoughts are higher than ours. Lord, thank you for reminding us of that today. Lord, even as we sit here and we surrender our hearts to you, I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would do his work in our hearts. Restore us, redeem us as we seek you. Help us to forsake our past. Help us to surrender our lives so that we blend into your purpose and your plan for us. 
We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.